Um, so my name's Aram. I am the worship pastor here. I'm not singing, obviously. Um, and this is my first time up here preaching since I started working here in April. But, fun fact, I did actually preach several years ago uh, here as a guest. You have to find, I don't know, deep dive on the website somewhere to find that. But um, there's probably a search function where you can find my name if you're interested. But I, I don't remember what, what I even taught on, so that was a long time ago. I, and, and I have a theory. I started here in April... And shortly after, I shaved my beard, and Ed was not very happy about that. He was very upset. And so my theory is that he waited for my beard to grow back before he would let me preach. <laughs> is that true? That is true. <laughs> People are clapping. Wow, okay. I guess, I guess he wasn't the only one that was upset by me shaving my beard. Um, well, we've been in a series this summer going through uh, this idea uh, the four G's is what we've been calling it. And I think the heart of the series, if I was to sum it up in one big picture, this is kind of the last Sunday before we move into something new. Um, I think the heart of the series is that a lot of times we think of sin as the things that we do. We think of sin as these actions that we do. And some of them are uh, sinful actions are bad. They harm us. They harm other people. Um, and that's true, but the series has helped kind of reframe the idea of what sin is um, to help us see that it's actually more about the way we think, specifically the way we think about God, who God is, and that the thoughts are actually the root of our sinful actions and behavior. And if we change the way we think about God, um, it actually will transform the way we act, right? But if we, change, if we just focus on changing our behavior without addressing that there's some root problem, root belief um, that makes us act the way that we do, we're actually ignoring the real problem. It's like putting a... a it's, like, it's like bandaging up a, a bullet wound without taking the bullet out first. You know, you're missing the point. You're trying to address what you can see without, without seeing what's causing that. And the four core beliefs that we've gone over over the last several weeks um, are that God is good, and we don't have to look elsewhere. The belief that God is glorious, and we don't have to fear others. The belief that God is gracious, we don't have to prove ourselves, and the belief that God is great, and we don't have to actually be in control. Um, those are the four things we've gone over. It's been like 12 weeks. I don't think I did them in the right order, so don't, don't quote me on that. I think we went different order than that. I just wanted to be extra confusing. Um, but I think, you know, as we're concluding a series like this, it's been a, been a long time, been these, these like, over these major themes and these major ideas. I think that um, there are some things that can happen in our, in our minds and in ourselves. And we maybe walk away from a series thinking, okay, now I have the new set of rules that I need to follow, you know? Now I have, like, there's some formula that we've figured out that over the last several thousand years, 
maybe the church hadn't figured out and we finally figured it out and here are the rules that we can follow to fix everything that's wrong. Um, and if you follow those rules, you believe the right things you, in the right way, you can control God or at least control your circumstances. I think we got some Bible reading going on back there. But that's just really a new kind of legalism. This is really just trying to manipulate God, manipulate your circumstances. And I also think, as I was reflecting on the series, that you know, in a, in a series that is about what you believe and believing the right things about God, um, maybe you're left thinking that in order for God to do any work in your life, you have to somehow be free from any kind of doubt. Like, you got to have it figured out. That to walk in faith or to walk with God means that you believe all the right things all the time. And if you're not there, sorry, you know, figure it out. Um, maybe there's something wrong, you know, with your faith or the way you're thinking. But if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that life isn't simple like that. You know, what happens when you experience pain or loss or disappointment? Those things cause you to, to question and doubt, and that's normal. That's part of walking with God. That's, that's a part of life. Um, these four Gs, they come from a book by a guy named Tim Chester. It's called You Can Change. And it's a book that I love. I've read it several times. I've taken people through it several times. But um, I've said this for a while, actually, that it is a great book, but I just think it has the worst title, honestly. Because um, it just sounds like every other self-help book that you would find at the bookstore, you know, just on the list. You can change. Like somehow uh, reading this book is going to give you the key or the power to pick yourself up and change your circumstances, eliminate sin, eliminate doubt from your life. I actually wish the book was called You Can't Change, because I think that's closer to the truth, but I don't think that would sell very many copies. It's not a very uplifting book, because the truth is that you can't change on your own. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much you want to repeat these phrases or remind yourself, the only, there's no way that you on your own can affect real change in your life. So I joked with Ed this week and Matt, and um, I told him this is the title of the sermon, You Can't Change. <laughs> so I know that's in your bulletin too. So I hope that's encouraging to you. <laughs> And yet, you know, you read scripture and the Christian life is a life of change, right? Transformation is part of what it means to be a Christian. Romans 12 says that being a Christian means you're transformed by renewing your mind. 2 Corinthians 3 says that we are being transformed in the image of Jesus. So, I don't know, maybe you're sitting here after we've gone through this whole series thinking like, I don't know, I don't really have anything in my life that needs to change. Um, I'm pretty good, you know? 
And I'd say that you've lost sight of what it means to follow Jesus, to walk with God. He's leading you somewhere. And where he's leading you, that means change. So if we can't change, and change is an integral part of what it means to be a Christian, how do we change? What do we do, right? I was thinking about this a lot this week and um, praying about what we were going to talk about this morning. And I think that the key to having a heart that's open to change, change by God, is having a heart that is humble. And there's a story in the Gospel of Mark that I think helps us see um, the kind of humility that we need and what it actually means for us. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 14. And I'll have it up on the screen, too. If you want to flip to it, we'll read, read through there. Uh, it's picking up in the middle of a story. The Gospel of Mark is like, is like rapid-fire stories. Immediately this happens. Immediately, so it's, like, it's, hard to, it's hard to jump in in, the, in midstream, but here we are says, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. He answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd came running together, that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. This is the word of the Lord. Um... So I think this passage in Mark, it helps us see what we actually need to have, the disposition, the place that we need to be for true, meaningful, spiritual transformation to happen in our hearts and in our lives. This is a story, it's, no doubt, this is a story about Jesus, right, doing something miraculous in this man's family. But if we look at the Father in this story, the boy's father, his response 
um, the way he talks to Jesus, I think it helps us see how we can actually be changed by God. What does it look like to be the kind of person, the kind of Christian that's being transformed by God every day in every circumstance, in every relationship? What does it look like to be led by God? It's not perfection, thankfully, but it's this idea of humility. Proverbs 29 says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Matthew 23, Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So if we, if we understand what it means to be humble before God, <clears throat> I think it will help us know what it means to actually come to God with a heart that can be changed. Puts us in a place where we can be changed by God. So we're going to talk about humility. We're going to talk about what this passage teaches us about humility. <clears throat> I think first, humility says that I don't have a perfect faith. Um, you notice the man in the story, he comes to Jesus because he knows that he has a problem, right? He has a very specific problem. And maybe he thinks that problem is obvious. But when Jesus starts asking him questions, I think he realizes that, he's, that his faith is actually part of the problem. And that takes a kind of humility to come to Jesus and say uh, that you know there's something wrong and you don't know really if you believe he can fix it. Um, the father here, he recognizes that he wants to believe it, right? He wants to believe that Jesus has the power to solve this problem, but he's just not quite there yet. Do you ever feel like that? Like you want to believe that God can change your circumstances. You want to believe that God can break you out of like unhealthy uh, sin and unhealthy cycles in your own life. Maybe you just want to believe that the God of the Bible is actually real, but you're just not quite there. I mean, how many of us can relate to that statement in verse 22 where he says, if you can do anything, please uh, have compassion on us and help us. I know I've said something very similar to that to God. You know, just wondering what's going on, wondering what, how my life led me to the place that I was at. Um, I was debating on whether or not I was going to share this, but it's pretty interesting. <clears throat> uh, you know, yesterday, people were talking a lot about where they were 20 years ago when 9-11 happened, right? People were reflecting on that a bit. Uh, do you want to know where I was? The answer is yes, you can say it. Uh, well, I was a young guy, and I made some stupid mistakes in my youth, like a lot of people do. I was sitting in county jail watching 9-11 from jail. Uh, and that was a time in my life where it's like, God, I don't know how I ended up here. And we can, if you have questions about it, we can talk about it in more detail uh, uh, off the pulpit. This isn't the place for a full story. 
Um, but that was a place where I was at asking God this kind of a question. How did I end up in this place? And if you can do anything about this, I don't necessarily fully believe that you can. You know, my faith is kind of wavering. But can you help? Can you give, can you show me compassion? You know? And thankfully, his answer was yes. I think it, it takes humility to come to God and acknowledge that your faith is weak. To acknowledge that your faith wavers. But that's okay. That's part of what it means to be human, I think. But the truth is, uh, even though we have... Oh, oops. That's later. Even though we have imperfect faith, we have a perfect Savior. Jesus says that you can come to him with just a tiny, tiny bit of faith, the size of a, a seed, the tiniest seed that you can possibly imagine. And it, it will do amazing things. Or maybe even just the desire to have faith, like the father in the story, coming to him saying, God, I, I want to believe, you know? And it helps us know that his ability to change us, his ability to transform us, it actually doesn't depend on us being perfect. It doesn't depend on us somehow figuring it out and making it happen. The work of the Spirit in your life, it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't hang on you and your success. And that's a lot of what we've been talking about in this series uh, over the several weeks is understanding that God is great. God is good. God is gracious. God is glorious. And our transformation, it's only possible because those things are true about God. You know, we are going to fall. We are going to forget. We are going to screw up. And we're going to come back to God again and again saying, help me with my unbelief. And that's okay. But God is the one that's faithful and true. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a book called The King's Cross. And this is a quote from that book. He says, perfect righteousness is impossible for us. And if you wait for that, you will never come into the presence of God. You must admit that you are not righteous and that you need help. When you do that, you are approaching God in worship. He's saying that that's what it means to walk in faith, is to acknowledge that you aren't righteous, to acknowledge that your faith wavers, but God is faithful. And that doesn't mean that God will always change your circumstances and do exactly what you want, or that the problem's always going to be fixed in the way you want it to be fixed, or that he's always going to work according to your timeline and how you want things to happen. But when you come to God in humility, he actually changes you. He changes the way you see your circumstances. He gives you the grace that you need to trust him, even when things don't go the way you want them to or expect them to.
So walking with God, it's not about getting to this place where you're free from doubt completely. But it's understanding and trusting that God actually works in your doubt, despite your doubt. And that's something that I think we learned from this story. Um, the next thing is that humility says, I don't actually have the power to change. The father in this story, he comes to Jesus and he recognizes there's only one solution, possible solution for him to this problem. And it's not him. He knows it's not him. Now, whether or not you have kids, you can imagine what this family and what this man has been through. He talks a little bit about it in the story. Ever since the boy was young, he's watched him suffer <clears throat> to the point of self-destruction. He says he would throw himself in the fire and try to kill himself. What kind of desperation would you be in? if you were this boy's father. I mean, he probably tried everything, right? To fix the problem. I know I would. And here he is at the end of his rope, <clears throat> bringing his child to Jesus, who from his perspective uh, is just like some street healer who he's heard has done amazing things. He doesn't even know if he can do anything about it, right? I think he's acknowledging that he knows he does not have the power to make this happen. He does not have the power to make this go away. And that takes humility to say, no matter how much I wish I could fix this problem, I just can't. And he pleads to Jesus to have compassion on them. I mean, have you ever just felt hopeless? In a situation like you've tried everything and things just aren't getting better you've tried as hard as you could to make an issue or a behavior or a situation go away um, maybe you've tried to ignore it maybe you've tried really hard to fix it for a season but for some reason it just keeps getting worse um, you come to the point where you realize that you just don't have the power to fix it, and that's defeating. Have you ever worked on an old house where you feel like no matter what you do, it just starts to spin out of control? You're trying to fix something, and you open up the wall, and something else is wrong, and then something else is wrong, and then something else is wrong, and no matter how hard, no matter how much you want to fix it, it just keeps getting worse. I think that's the same kind of idea. But the truth is, here in this story, that even though we are powerless, we have a powerful Savior. And in fact, sometimes it's only when we accept that we're powerless in a situation, when we get to that place of desperation, that we can see God for who He really is. Um, the Apostle Paul, I think I have this on the slide, 
in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about a situation he has no control over. He's asked God to take it away. We don't really know exactly what it is. He calls it a thorn in his side. He's asked God to take it away. He's pleaded with God to take it away. And he says that God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in, in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, oftentimes it's in those areas where we feel the most powerless. The situations, the circumstances, the relationships, that's when we can actually see God working. Sometimes it's because we have no other choice, just being completely honest. And you know that's true. We have nowhere else to turn, like this father, you know. He didn't know where else to turn. But God wants us to accept the fact that only he has the power to transform us. He wants us to release the grip that we're trying to hold onto our own circumstances. That's what we talked about. We talked about God being great. We don't have to hold tightly. We can let go and trust that he is actually powerful. Release him over to the one who actually has the power to make some change. And again, that doesn't mean it's always going to change and turn the way we want it to or on our timeline. I mean, Paul... He's talking about a situation that he, he pleaded to God to change it, and God didn't. But God changed his perspective, what was going on. For God, us, you know, God doesn't always change our perspective, or does, God doesn't always change our circumstances, but he will change us. And sometimes situations in our lives are a means for that change to happen. And honestly, God's power means he actually has the ability to take something that on the surface has no redeeming value um, and turn it into something that actually changes us into the person that he wants us to be. Without God... Those, circumstance, those things are worthless. And in God, they can be part of our transformation. And it says we're united to Christ in our suffering. So there's a, there's a way, there's a mysterious way that our suffering unites us to who Jesus is. The Father, he recognizes that he's powerless over his situation. He doesn't have faith to believe it. Excuse me. But he knows the only one that could possibly have the power to do it is Jesus. And maybe that glimmer of faith could take the circumstance that he's in and bring something good out of it. In the same way, we have to remember that God is the one that has the power to transform us, not us. No matter how much we wish we could do it ourselves, we can't. We have to submit ourselves to God. If we bring ourselves to God, he says that he's faithful in working those things together for our good. 
And then I think this also teaches us that humility says that I can't do this alone. <clears throat> you see, this man, he brought his son to Jesus because he realized that he couldn't solve the problem by himself. Even though he had tried everything, even though he had doubts, he came to Jesus and the disciples because he knew he couldn't do it by himself. Is that an audio book? <laughs> that sounded like a good book. I don't know what it was, but... <laughs> And that takes humility. You know, we want to control our circumstances. We want to be in the driver's seat of our own lives. It takes humility to, to accept that you can't actually do it on your own. Um, and the funny thing is that most people I admire, even Christians, are people that I view as strong, independent, have things figured out, as if somehow reaching a place of maturity means you get to the place where you don't need anyone. You don't need anyone else to tell you what to do or how to do it. Um, even when you look at, like, TV shows and movies, you know? A lot of the shows I watch, I, I was thinking about it uh, as I was thinking about this this week. A lot of the shows I watch, there's, like, kind of a running theme, which is weird. Maybe it's just most shows. Where the hero, you know, the main character in the show is a person that plays by their own rules, doesn't take anything from anybody, doesn't let anybody get in their way, skirts the rules when it works to their advantage because they're actually good. Um, I think, you know, this is what we want. This is what we want our lives to look like, to not have to answer to anyone, you know? But that is not the picture of spiritual maturity that we see in the Bible. In fact, it's the complete opposite. Maturity means understanding and acknowledging that you can't do it alone. We need the power of God. We need the Spirit of God to transform us. And we need the people of God to help us and encourage us. So even though you can't change on your own, we have a Savior who's with us. <clears throat> Jesus invites us to come to him with all of our doubt, with all of our feelings of inadequacy, with all of our insecurities about, you know, ourselves. He's not scared or offended by those things. Um, he promises in Matthew that he's with us. Behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. He also says that he leaves, but he gives us something that's more, what that's better to our benefit, which is the Spirit of God dwelling in us. The Spirit of God that pulls the church together in one body. And the church reminds us that we can't do it alone. I mean, the Bible talks, talks all these different metaphors about what the church is. The, the body of Christ. The church is like a body with different parts that do different things. We need each other. I think we need each other for a few different reasons. We need each other to, to build 
each other up, to encourage each other in love and good works, it says in Hebrews. We also need each other to, to challenge each other. So, friends, <clears throat> the truth is um, that you can't change on your own. But I think that's actually the heart of the gospel. That's what the gospel says, that you can't do it by yourself. You need Jesus. You can't change, but God is changing you. The good news is you have exactly what you need in Jesus. So it means coming to him with a heart that's humble and allowing him to change you. So, you know, how do we as a community, we're sitting in this room, how do we respond to a message like this? How do we respond even to the series that we've been through? Um, I was thinking about what it means to come to God in, with humility, with a humble heart. Um, and I think that the most humble thing we can do is actually come to God in confession. That's what the Father is doing in this story. <clears throat> he's coming to God. He's confessing the truth. Um, so I want to take a little bit of time as we're closing to, uh, to do that, actually, in this room together. I don't know what you think, what your history, what your background is, with, with faith and what you think about confession. <clears throat> but the Greek word for confession actually just means saying the same thing, okay? That's all it is. It's really just saying the same thing that God says about him and about you. Um, about him, that you're saying that he is who he says he is, and about you, you're saying that uh, I am who he says I am, Right? So we're going to take a little bit of time to pray. There's going to be some times of silence, which is okay. Um, and we're going to kind of pray through some of the themes that we've had over the last several weeks and give you a chance to bring things in your own heart and in your own life before God silently. You don't have to say it out loud. So if that's what you're thinking with confession, then. Uh, so let's, let's bow our heads together and then just listen to my voice and then we'll have times to reflect. God, we believe that you are good. We believe that you are good to us. We believe that you are good for us. But we also acknowledge that oftentimes we look for goodness in other people, in other things, um, apart from you. So right now what I want you to do is bring to mind all the ways that you look for goodness in, uh, other, in other ways than God. Bring those to mind and just bring them before him. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's possessions. Um, let's just take a moment to bring those things to mind.
Now, God, as we reflect on our own hearts, on our own lives, um, we bring these things to mind that we come to, that we look to other than you, we give those things over to you right now. And we confess, God, that you are good to us, that you are the best thing that we could possibly need. And even though sometimes we forget, we know that you are faithful. And that doesn't change who you are. God, we, we also believe that you are great. We believe that you created all things and that you hold all things together in the palm of your hand. But we recognize that oftentimes we try to hold tightly to our lives and our situations and circumstances, especially when they feel like they're out of control. That's kind of our default. And so now we just take a moment to bring to mind all the ways that we try to control our lives, all the ways that we try to control what happens to us, all the ways that we try to control the people around us. Just take a moment to bring those things before the Lord. God, we also believe that you are um, gracious. That you give us, that you pour out your gifts on us. You pour out the gift of your spirit. You pour out yourself to us. You give us so much, more than we deserve. And yet, Oftentimes we feel like we have to prove ourselves or earn it or prove ourselves to other people that we've earned it. But instead, you want us to rest in who you are. So right now, we take a moment to reflect on all the ways that we try to prove ourselves to you, all the things that we do to try to earn the free gifts that you've given us. God, we believe that you are glorious. That you are heavy. That your weight, that you carry weight in every circumstance, in every place. 
but oftentimes we try to minimize who you are, and maybe even we fear other smaller things more than we fear you. We put things above you as if they're more important than you. But they're not. And so now we bring to mind the things that we put in God's place in our lives, the things that we elevate to a place that's unhealthy in our own minds and in our own hearts, things that we worship other than God. Just take a moment to bring those things before God. Lord, we confess now um, that we have an imperfect faith. We confess that we want to believe, um, but we're easy to forget. We forget again and again and again. Lord, just take all these things that we've laid at your feet and help us, walk with us. We are so grateful that your, uh, who you are, your transform, transformative power in us, it doesn't depend on us getting it right all the time. Instead, it depends on who you are. So take all those things, Lord, and lead us to a place where we can be transformed by you. Lead us to a place where we can trust you. Uh, lead us to a place where we um, are just resting in your presence today. And as we worship, we confess again the truth of who you are Just, just draw our hearts together in one spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>